to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. We just finished our study in Ephesians, so the challenge I had before me was, what are we going to talk about tonight before we get into another series? And these verses just never left my mind. So, studied them out, and we're going to share... Well, I could call this the riverbanks of love, or we could call it a prayer of love. Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and I'm going to read this, then we're going to, do, we're going to explain through the whole message why he writes what he writes. Of course, it's ultimately not him. It's the inspired Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit writing through him. And so, Philippians 1 and verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. There's a popular website out there for social activity, and there's some good that comes from it. You can keep in touch with people. You can get in touch with people that you haven't talked to in a long time. You can have the biggest group chat with any number of people you want. You can talk with with strangers and even have positive conversations. I mean, if if you need a reference for a plumber right there on the spot, you can get on this thing, and within 10 minutes, you're going to have 12 people you know probably give you a reference of a plumber. I mean, there are a lot of positive things that, that can happen. If, if there's someone suspicious in your neighborhood, you can get on this thing, and you can let people know that of what's going on, and, and pretty quick, everybody in the neighborhood almost is, is going to see it. You can post a devotion from God's Word on, on this uh, social website, and, and it's going to uh, do a lot of good, you know. But after much research, this one website has found out what their bread and butter is as in what causes a lot of usefulness on this site. And it is divisiveness. It seems as though that the majority, not everyone, but the majority of the people who use this website, they are attracted to divisiveness. They, it causes them to increase their usage of the website. And from what I understand, you know, it's not being taken away. It's kind of the lifeline of it. You know, the condition of this church at Philippi that Paul was writing to, their little quarrels before or after church or, or whenever they had their quarrels, if 
If it were put in the form of posts on this website, man, the church at Philippi would have been a hot topic. Everybody would have been engrossed into what's going on. It would have been so exciting to some people to see the vicious divisiveness that was going on. They were selfish. They were grumbling. They wanted everyone else in the church to see things their way and vice versa. Kind of like the woman who took her husband to get some glasses and they got him all checked out and fitted and he went home and, and uh, his wife was very unhappy, went back to the doctor and said, you did not do this right. You did not prescribe these glasses right. I, well, I think I did. I think he could see real good close and far away. I think we got him just right. She said, no, you didn't because he doesn't see things my way yet. And everyone in that church wanted each other to see things their way. And oh, what a mess it was. And this was heavy on Paul's heart. Paul loved the churches. All of those things that came upon Paul when he talks about being shipwrecked and stoned to death and, and cold and naked and hungered. And then at the end of that, in 2 Corinthians 11, it says, and the care of all the churches which cometh upon him daily. He was very burdened by what was going on in this church with the backbiting and, and the selfishness that was happening. And, and of course, God has an interest in his, in his church, and, and his church is special to him. And so this was so important that this letter that we have written to Philippi, God inspired it through Paul because of the divisiveness that's going on in the church. You uh, can look through the whole book and that's what you see as a central topic here that God is working on in their lives that they would look after Christ's example. You know, in chapter 2, verse 4, it, it says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Um, we could go over to verse 3. And Paul says, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things, but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And, and so you see Paul's passion uh, for helping them to look to Christ as their example, to look to deity as their example in all of the divisiveness that the church is experiencing. Paul is disturbed by this conflict in the church. And you know, what they need is some of what Paul has here. Paul points them to Christ's example but Paul is being a good example too because he is heavy for them. You know that frustration's trying to overcome Paul because of what's going on there. And in the beginning of this letter, this church that he has been fretting over, this church that he's writing to, trying to keep them from having a split. In verse 3, right there at the beginning of the letter, he writes that he's thankful for them. And then he goes on 
to say he's praying for them. And he speaks of the joy that they give him. And the fellowship that they have had together since the moment he met them until the time that the pen was writing the paper for this letter. And he encourages them that he's confident that the good work, the good work that God has for him to do, that they're going to do it until Jesus comes back to the clouds. That they're going, he's confident and encouraging that they're going to get everything right and in place and they're going to quit this stuff. And then he expresses something to let them know that these aren't just words. It's not just some sweet talk before he lowers the boom on them or anything like that. He writes in verse 7 and he says... I have you in my heart. And in verse 8 he says, How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Paul has a sincere, deep love and care for the church at the same time that he is frustrated over things that are going on there. You know, we, we finished our study in Ephesians last week and we moved beyond all these weapons to another weapon, I'll call it, for the Christian soldier, and that's prayer. And I remember making a comment that it's hard not to love someone who you're praying for. And there's no way we can't see that point here. Paul sincerely, deeply prays for this church in this time that they're going through. It's hard not to love someone you're praying for. You know, in chapter 4 and verse 2 of this book of Philippians, you find that it's two ladies in the church. It's Euodius and Syntyche. And they are locking horns with one another. I don't know if one may just want fun and games in the church and the other one's all serious, just church services, period, and, and nothing else. Whatever it is, they are at odds with one another. And it's as if there's a single foul line behind each one of them and the church members are taking their pick and the church is in the process of splitting apart just like the Titanic did. But Paul loves them dearly and he's crazy about them and he has been praying for them. I'm telling you, it's hard not to love your brothers and sisters in Christ that you're praying for. But, but, but say we have this situation between others or, or whatever the case may be. Look, look at Paul and he has a situation with the church. How does he pray for them? How do you pray for someone in this situation? Well, we see exactly that by these three verses tonight. We see a request for love in verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. 
the church is squabbling. They are governed by their selfishness. And Paul has the answer. Paul has the prayer that is needed for someone in that situation. And it's love. It's a prayer for love for them. A, the, a prayer for love as in the love that God is. The way that God loves that church is the way that that church needs to be able to love one another. And that's Paul's prayer for them. That they would abound or that they would increase in this love of God like a flower going from a bud to a bloom. You know, the moment we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. And, and so we have a loving relationship with Him, but, but we need to grow in love. Every single one of us do. There's nothing in the Bible that says we're going to get to that place where we have reached our highest peak and we're done on this earth. There is a constant need for growth in, in God's love for every Christian as we go. We must abound yet more and more. As I consider Christians, I know, and there are some that I have never heard anything but what would resemble the love of Christ in the way they talk to someone and their actions towards someone. I mean, I don't know if it's the same uh, behind the doors at home or not, you know, but, but, but I'm just saying I have seen some Christians who really walk in Christ's love and I see Christ's love in, in them, but I'll tell you something about them. They need to grow in Christ's love too because we all do. We all need to be continually increasing in the love of God, in His self-sacrificing unconditional love that's the love that he's loved us with that's the ability that we have to love where we we take the loss for the sake of keeping peace where we sacrifice for one another where we inconvenience ourselves for the sake of lifting up a burden with a brother that is not so heavy for them self-sacrificing love this love of God one preacher says, everybody that belongs to Jesus belongs to everybody that belongs to Jesus. Everybody that belongs to Jesus belongs to everybody that belongs to Jesus. When we can't know what to pray for ourselves or for others, we see it right here. When, when, when it's a, a vicious divisiveness, you know, I mean, what do you pray? A lot of people just give up hope on, on others. But this is a prayer for the love of God to pour through their lives like a mighty rushing river. This is what the Holy Spirit gave Paul to pray for them, it's God's love that's the answer. That it might flow like a mighty rushing river, but that it wouldn't flow over the riverbanks, though. As in, you know, when, 
when there's a flood, you know, that's a mess. It gets real messy. And, you know, there's a love that we would think about as human beings that's real sappy and it's real emotional and it's real feely and it's just a big mess. That's not the love that we're talking about. This love is a precise love and it has borders, it has boundaries, it has a certain aim, it has a, a very prepared, set up flow between some river banks. It doesn't overflow. That doesn't mean there's any such thing as too much of God's love. It's just that this love, it doesn't gush forth uncontrolled and all over the place. It's precisely directed and guided. And this love has two riverbanks. That your love may abound yet more and more in all knowledge and in all judgment. The love of God has, has some boundaries set to it, if you will, of knowledge and judgment. So the prayer for love, that it would be in all knowledge, is also a request of knowing God more. Knowledge. Knowledge of God. You know, love is not an unstable rush of emotions that arrests us and puts the handcuffs on our lives. We're talking about a love that is very stable and a love that is grounded when we're talking about the love of God. So to love more, if our love's going to abound more, we must know more about God. More we sing more about Jesus, what I know. And there's a never-ending journey in that for you and I to know more about God. Israel, and we I don't need to go through the details of Israel in the wilderness and their murmuring, murmuring and complaining, but in the prophecy of Isaiah, right in the beginning, chapter 1 and verse 3, the Lord says, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Their problem was not knowing God more and not growing, not growing in faith. You know, knowing God is our reason for existence, you could say. Knowing God is our salvation. In John chapter 17... Jesus says, this is life eternal, that they might know thee. Not that they might do something and go through a religious process, but that they would know God through Jesus Christ. We're created to know God. Our focus, our number one priority is to get knowledge of God and to keep getting knowledge of God. You know, someone said, I give 150% to my job, and they were saying it like they were bragging. How many, You might know your job, but what about something more important than the job? What about God? This is Paul's answer 
for their behavior, for their problem, for a church that is, that is on the brink of, of splitting. To love God is to know God more. We know Him when we're saved, and we move forward increasing in knowledge of God. And that has an effect on our lives. When we know God more, we love God more. Who can appreciate God's promises the most? Those who study them and know them and rely on them? Or those who just know that there are some promises there? You know, the relationship grows and the love grows as knowledge of God grows. You know, a disciple is a learner. And, and the evidence of being a disciple is having love one to another. We, Paul prays for love. Paul prays for knowledge of God. And when all that starts happening, then we can start loving one another. You know, the lost should see an evidence of God by our love one for another. When the atheist says, show me something that will tell me that there's a God, we should be able to say, you go on down there to the church and you look at those people. You watch those people together. It's unlike any group of co-workers. It's unlike anybody who works out together at the gym. It's unlike the Rotary Club. It's unlike families in this world. The family of God is amazing. And the way there are shows that there is a God. Paul couldn't say that at the time. Paul wouldn't tell someone, you just go on down to that church at Philippi. You want to know that there's a God? You just watch those people. That's the way it should be. But Philippi wasn't showing the evidence of God. And that love wasn't in their lives. John writes in 1 John, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. So when we're loving in this sacrificial love, Look, this is something that came from heaven that we can show. To show evidence of God and that we belong to God, it's going to come from the experience of walking with God, just a closer walk with thee. It's going to come from experience of walking with Him, and it's going to come from His love to us. It's going to come from us learning from him as we get to know him more so this is a request for love and within it is a request to know God more and also within it is a request to know good more and we see that in the word of judgment that's the other riverbank one is knowledge and the other is judgment. Judgment means discernment. Okay, so let's connect the dots here. Knowing God more and putting to practice the result of knowing God more. When we 
are close to Jesus, when we're learning more about Jesus, then we start having this better judgment more and more. Putting into practice a proper abounding of love. Judgment, I'll say, is peeling back the banana. You know, when you peel back that banana peel, you don't eat it. You either throw it in your compost pile, in your garden, or in your trash can. You don't eat it. It's, it's not good to eat. You make that discernment that you get rid of that and you eat the center of the banana. That is good. Judgment is you and I peeling back the banana in every life decision that we have to make every day so that we can make the right choices. God gives us the right choices by making judgment. It takes discernment to make the right choices. It takes insight to be able to properly evaluate the choices that we make every day. And that's not something simple. Every one of us can know that we, in our own experience, that we have thought we were making a good decision, a good judgment, and it was not. We need to know God more. Paul prays for love that they would know Him more and that that love would abound in knowledge and in judgment for the choices that they make. There's a border on one side of God's love of knowledge and experience with God. There's a border on the other side of knowing the difference in right and wrong. And there's a request for love that Paul prays for them. And go with me now because there's some results of this. There's some results of this love. There are three things that we are going to see that, that apply, that are results from this love that Paul prays for for them. One is, verse 10, that ye may approve things that are excellent. Another one is, continuing, that ye may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. And then another one is being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. So there are results of this love that Paul is praying would abound in their lives. The first one is that you may approve things which are excellent. You know, there's intelligence involved in love. Our feelings are not an indicator of what's right. You might say our head filled with knowledge keeps our heart in check. However you want to say it, our feelings must be tested for approval. And they're usually going to fail before we act on it. This love... This love is sincere and it's intelligent. It's not a rush of emotions that sweeps you off your feet and you are helpless because of love. That's not what it is. Christians, you know, might say they're, they are doing something out of love when the very thing they do 
whether it's for themselves, whether it's for someone else, it could be compromising the moral standard of the church by saying, I'm doing this in love. Sometimes what people call actions of love in helping someone is actually hurting someone. Sometimes there are things that can be done and it looks like it's something positive. It looks like it's something caring you would do, but it's enabling someone and it's just going to send them down a road of problems and handicap them. And, but, but in our feelings, not keeping our feelings in check, we say this is a good thing to do. This is something to do in love. They would do this and they wouldn't put their finger on the Bible, wouldn't put their on the, finger on the scripture for the backing of it, but they say it's love and that's why they're doing it. If Christians love with a messy, sappy love with no guidance, next thing you know, they will just simply love away the reverence for God's house and there will be no distinction of the things of the Lord and the things of the world, there's to be a distinction, and there's to be a difference, and love will actually make us reverence that when it's not just this overflowing, mushy type of stuff that's not grounded in God's Word, but it is abounding in love, in all knowledge, and in all judgment. So... There's an approving of things that are excellent. This is a result of this love. You can put your stamp of approval on it when it's God's love flowing through you. But there's another result of this love, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. This is the second result of this love. So not only will we judge things right, but our lives will be right as a result of this prayer for love. When we abound in love, you know, we are not perfect. And we are going to be falsely blamed. You know, that's going to, the idea of blamelessness is in here. That doesn't mean we're going to be uh, not going to be blamed. A lot of people are going to be falsely blamed. The Apostle Paul was falsely blamed and he didn't do no such of the thing that some of those in Corinth and some of those lost on the outside coming in trying to feed and whisper in the ears of Corinth were trying to make them think of what Paul was, and Paul was no such a thing. He, he wasn't a Philadelphia lawyer that spoke out of both sides of his mouth. What he said was yea and nay, and it was clear, and it was right. But you had a, a lot of false blaming that was going on. You know, what we're seeing here, what a result of this love is that our lives will be the same as our, at our house of residence as they are at the house of God. That's what this love prayed for is going to do. In John chapter 1, Jesus sees this man Nathaniel walking toward him. And Jesus says of this man, it says, And he saith of him, 
Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. What an honor. What an amazing new creation Christ makes us. That Jesus could sit there and say of this Israelite, there's nothing fake. There, this, this guy coming here, Nathaniel, he's the real deal as a Christian. There's nothing fake, there's nothing false about him, as in there's nothing about his life that's going to cause you to stumble. I mean, he's walking with me. In other words, you know, it fits that he's abounding in love, in knowledge, and in all judgment. When we abound in love, it cultivates Christian character. So Paul's prayer is coming down to hitting them in their Christian character. When we abound in love and abound in knowledge and in judgment, it's going to affect our lives and change our lives, our character, that ye may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Jesus Christ is doing a sanctifying work in His people to make His people more like Him. He's pre, what He has predestinated is not who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. He's predestinated that all would be in Christ and that our lives would steadily be changed by Him. There's a third result of this love. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. So the results of this love, it's not just the sight of our life that you see a Christian life, but it's about service from our lives too. This is going to be a result of this love, that there is going to be service from the child of God. It's not just about the condition of the heart that was seen in the other result. It's going to be about the condition with our hands and what we do with our hands. When we know God more, we're going to love God more. And when we love God more, we're going to serve God more. You know, religious people can get real busy doing religious things. But when we spend time with God, knowing Him, then we get to do what only Jesus can empower and give the ability to do. Don't get me wrong, someone religious over here and then someone walking with the Lord over here, it may look like they're doing something similar, but it's not just about the motions. It's about the manner in which we serve. And it's not only about the manner in which we serve, but the motive by which we serve. There is a difference. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives working through us does not cause the attitude in us that says, look at me. When we're serving the Lord, there's not an attitude of, I'm important. Or, this wouldn't get done if it weren't for me. You know, with God, we're all replaceable. You know, and we need our position of service more than our position of service needs us. 
You know, God is not wringing his hands right now at the thought of, I've invested in that old sorry sinner brother Kenneth and I, I've saved him and I'm teaching him how to do something. What if he, what if he walks away from me? What if he backslides away? What, how, how are things going to get done? That's not God at all. He is not fretting over that whatsoever. We're to be humbled at the privilege and the empowering by the Lord to be able to serve. And let's remember, all of this comes from love abounding more and more in all knowledge and in all judgment. And let's close with the reason to love. The last several words of verse 11 here, the end of the text for tonight, it says, unto the glory and praise of God. How do we know? We're abounding in love. Well, it's like Big Bob said years ago when I was a baby Christian. I didn't understand it. It kind of stopped me in my tracks and got my attention. But I didn't quite understand it whenever people said, Bob, you've had a child die. You have, you have another child with a lifelong illness. You study God's word all week. You come up here and you turn on every light in the place and you make coffee for everybody and you bring donuts to Sunday school and then you teach this lesson to us that you have been studying all week and some of these people in here aren't even paying attention and stuff like that. How do you do it? And I was standing off to the side and he said, because it's not about us. It's about Him. I did not understand that immediately. It's not about us though. It's about God. It's not about us getting the credit. It's about glory to Christ. It's not about us getting anything. It's about us giving glory to God. We do what we do because God has enabled us to do it and because it's a privilege and because He is worthy of every ounce of labor and effort that we put forth in whatever we do. God is God and we are not God. You know, Paul sure didn't say anything about abounding in pride and claiming what belongs to God alone. He's praying that love may abound more and more in their life. That's the cure for the divisiveness at Philippi. That is the cure for divisiveness in any church. Paul prays this prayer that your love may abound yet more and more. Since Paul prays that prayer, how about we fill that in for someone else? That where the word your is, that we put someone's name there, that, that Sally may, that Sally's love may abound yet more and more. Whose name do we put there? Whoever's name come, came to our mind when we said it. And for most of us, a name came to our mind. Look, Paul, can you imagine Paul over the church? Yet, he was crazy about them and loved them. And a big part of it 
was Paul praying for them. But after we pray that prayer and we put someone else's name in it, by the way, let's not put someone else's name in it with a pitying attitude. Oh, Lord, dear, they need to abound. Let's not do that. If any of you have that t-shirt, you need Jesus. I, I don't mean to offend, but that's the wrong attitude. So after we pray that prayer, let all of us put the word my there. And this I pray that my love may abound yet more and more because that will be true for every single one of us. Every single one of us need that. We can always consider ourselves low on love because we're not going to be completely full while we're on this earth and there is always room for a request of love and then we can start looking for the results of love and then never forget the reason to love because of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the glory that belongs to Him. Well, we're going to get out of here just in time tonight and go to the gym and to help set up. It was good to see everyone who was able to be here tonight. And I'm going to ask Brother Rick Morris if he will close our box.